Hello and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. This podcast is for people who want to understand what it really takes to make a positive impact in public services. It features leaders from councils, the NHS, central government, charities and social enterprises, as well as think tanks and social investors. This is about policy and the implementation of policy and the grit and determination it takes to run successful public services. It's not about politics. Politics does not feature at all and the discussions are all the better for it. It's also about the stories and personal journeys of the leaders I speak to, the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned. Running and reforming public services is incredibly difficult and I'm very grateful to these inspiring leaders for taking the time to share with others. So before we get into it, I just want to take a second to thank my friends and colleagues at Mutual Ventures for supporting me to do this podcast. My day job at Mutual Ventures is about supporting public services to be better, more sustainable and more connected to communities. This means working with central government departments to help them build bridges between policy development and local implementation. It means working with councils to help them plan for the future. And it also means working with NHS trusts to help them find their place in the new health and care system. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and that you get as much from it as I have. And don't forget to subscribe on the website or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to make sure that you never miss a future episode. And you might even want to go back and listen to some of the older ones. This episode is with Bridget Russell. Bridget is probably one of the most humbly inspiring people I've had the pleasure of talking to on this podcast. She is a leadership coach who specializes in supporting public service leaders to be the best leaders that they can be and the most authentic leaders that they can be. And our conversation is fascinating. It's a little bit different from the usual radical reformers conversations in that it is about leadership and just really key questions about how much of yourself you should bring to work when you're a leader what does this whole authentic leadership thing really mean and Bridget is a real expert in relational leadership and system-wide leadership and we talk about what that means and it's the very antithesis of the whole concept of being a hero leader where you have to know the answers to everything. We also get into the most effective way to lead and the fact that really quite often we find ourselves in a position of either being in a debate frame of mind or in a polite avoidance frame of mind and actually there's a middle ground which is all about effective dialogue and that's built on relationships and trust so I hope you find this really interesting. I certainly did. And it's made me reflect a lot on the type of leader I am. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Bridget. Bridget, a very warm welcome onto the podcast. I've spoken to a couple of previous guests, Katie Kelly and Donna Hall, who both know you and both absolutely insisted that I should have a conversation with you. So I'm really pleased that you've said yes. But for people who are listening who maybe don't know who you are, could you just say a little bit about yourself? 
Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here. Um, so I'm Bridget Russell and I live in Stirling in Scotland. I've been here since 1999, but obviously, as you can tell from the accent, I don't come from here, but it is my adopted home. Um, so I originally come from Oxford and was born and brought up in Oxford, but my family is Welsh and Irish, so I have kind of all Celtic bases covered. Um, and I work for myself as a coach and as a consultant, leadership consultant, facilitator, working with um, all sorts of people across the public sector, mainly in Scotland. And I was um, married to Jim, uh, my husband, for 16 years. We were together for nearly 20 years and he um, died, died of leukaemia just before the pandemic, so in February 2020. So the last three years that living with the loss of, of him and our life together and, and my grief has been uh, a, a, you know, inevitably a huge part of my life. Um, so that's who I am. And has that experience influenced how you work, how you how you coach and how you do your leadership coaching? My life with him um, did influence that. Well, you know, it was influenced how I am a lot. Um, he did uh, a very different job from me. He was a, a singer and a songwriter and played in bands. And I rather loved the fact that, you know, that was so different from what I do. So actually, um, the reason I'm starting with that is because it has influenced, you know, influences how I am now, because he and I yeah. talked about everything. And I really that's the you know big thing that I have really missed. Um, yeah. I mean, many things I've missed, obviously. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's influenced. It influences my work because I have had to get used to. Um, being on my own and, and, and then it's also influenced and, you know, um, this is something I may come back to, but it's influenced yeah. how I bring myself into my work because I feel quite strongly that, you know, we need to, to bring ourselves into our work. And when he first fell ill at the back end of 2019 and then, and then died in early 2020, I, I couldn't in all conscience not talk about it with people that I was yeah. working with. Um, but what I was conscious of as a coach is how do I how do I do that? How do I live with grief and that kind of loss when I'm working with other people, listening to them deeply? So so I've had to think about that a lot. But, you know. Yeah, I'm really pleased that you have spoken about this at the top of our conversation, because we are going to come back to the very important question about how much of yourself do you bring to work as a leader? You, you know, and I don't want to start asking those questions now because there are other things that I want to yeah. talk to you about first but we will come back to that because I think that question of being an authentic leader and what that means yeah. is so important so if we we will come back to that but yeah. before we do I just want to ask you a little bit more about your coaching work more generally so I know that from our previous conversations that you have a big focus on the importance of approaching leadership in a relational way and I want to give you an opportunity to explain what that is and unpack that a little bit. So where that uh, comes from, I suppose, is from years of experience of working as a coach and, and as a consultant and, and as a manager myself. I started out as a management trainee a long, long time ago in the health service at the beginning of my career. And but but in more recently in my work as a coach and then a facilitator working with groups of leaders my observation is that how we actually get things done how we work together 
is dependent on the quality of our relationships. There isn't a kind of magic box or magic set of tricks that that sort leadership out. It's about how we are with each other. And um, in I think I mentioned to you when we were speaking before that the large program I was involved in for the last four years um, as part of um, something called Project Lift in NHS Scotland. I was working on a leadership program and with my colleague Joanne, we brought in what we would now describe as a relational leadership development approach. The notion being that how we work best together and how we learn best together is in a relational way. So in relationship to each other, being aware of ourselves, but being aware of the impact that we have on other people. So that that's what yeah. that's what I mean by that. And so say I'm a project manager in in a council and I'm listening to to what you're saying. What might the key differences be in a relational approach to say I'm a project manager who tends to run things by by a Gantt chart or a project plan and kind of drive everything from that and assume everything on the project plan will happen because it's in the plan. As a coach, what I notice, whoever I'm coaching, so often the issues that people bring into coaching and want to spend time exploring is about the relationships that they have with other people or don't have with other people or there are issues with those relationships. And same with, you know, if it's a project manager working on a project or a group of people working together in a part of a hospital or across a, you know, uh, um, local council. So often the issues that both enable us to get things done, but also the things that might get in the way tend to come down to the relationships that we have with each other, how effectively we, we can communicate with each other, understand each other's different motivations and triggers. And um, I think uh, I'm not saying that there isn't a place for the formal knowledge or professional knowledge you might need as a project manager or, you know, whatever your your professional specialism is. But as soon as you have to work with other people, and let's face it, most jobs require that, then there's something about how how do you bring yourself to those relationships that seems yes. to me is sort of central to it all. I think that's exactly right. And certainly in our experience at Mutual Ventures, all project plans are great until they encounter real people. Yeah. And then, and the the feelings and the uh, insecurities and strong opinions that they that they bring with them. And we, we actually have something which uh, reflects a lot of what you've said called relational project management. So, you know, some of the projects that we do and a lot of other uh you know, projects within the public sector are really complicated, but they're probably 50% a technical challenge. But the other 50% is all about the people. It's all about bringing people on the journey with you, forming the the relationships. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, something that, that you remind me of is, so, you know, why do we work in teams in organisations? Well, in, you know, in theory, bringing a team of people together, there should it, it, it's greater than some of the parts, you know, so it's about the different skills, knowledge, experience, um, capabilities that different people have. Um, and, and, and then it's about how do you get the best out of that? Well, you get the best out of a collection of, of individuals if they can work together more effectively and, yeah. and, and both respect and appreciate the difference, differences that people give, um, yeah. or bring rather, not give. Yeah. No, I, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, to give you an example from our experience, 
building good relationships with we're a consultancy we build relationships with our clients having a really good relationship means that you're a lot more comfortable being honest particularly about mistakes and things which have gone wrong and actually um we've got some really good examples that i talk to every person who joins mutual ventures about which uh is 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 a really good example of where we'd made a pretty big mistake on a project we had a great relationship with our main client we were really honest about it we told we told her about it and explained how we would fix it and actually the the relationship strengthened because of that honesty and actually we ended up in a better place despite the fact that we had set the project back a little bit because of this yeah. mistake i think that's a perfect example of of that so i i want to talk now about system leadership so i've also heard you talk about this and the importance of context when engaging in things like leadership development can you say a little bit more about that please quickly by a bit of background by way of a bit of background i kind of fell into doing the leadership stuff when i i worked as a consultant in a consultancy for for a few years and i was involved in delivering quite a few um or delivering on quite a few leadership programs that were if you like um, I mean, they were in the context of the organisation, but they had a kind of set approach to them. And and I guess what I began to see, Andrew, is that, you know, an individual leaders going on a leadership programme might gain a lot of benefit from a really well constructed and well run leadership programme. But increasingly in the last few years, and especially in relation to the work I do in the public sector and public service, I'm more interested in and I think it feels more relevant to me to be looking at leadership as a process that happens across a system. Um, so and thinking about system leadership or thinking about leadership across a system is is what I'm more interested in. And so the work again, the work I did with um, NHS Scotland in the last few years was about looking at uh, the place that individuals play but the leadership that they are enacting across their part of the system and then and then across with you know different people in different parts of the system so so just for people listening a system yeah. their part of the system could be within their organization or yeah. so for example in that exact you know in the example i gave that's people who are in some kind of leadership role within one of the health boards in scotland um so their system might be you know the health boards but the health board interacts with local authority with other public sector organizations in in a particular geographical area so system can be at 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 different levels and um why i became interested in in thinking about the development of leadership as well as individuals in those roles is because that's you know that's how the work happen so work in the public sector is is cross system it isn't you know i yes we need people who have a leadership role in in distinct parts of an organization but actually how policy gets enacted and how we make change or you know improve people's lives in terms of health or whatever outcomes we want to look at happens across you know across and between organizations and it's that kind of leadership and contribution that i'm I'm interested in working with and developing. And um, does that does that answer your question? It does, but it would be great if you could give me an example, like a practical example of how you would undertake some of this system leadership coaching or training that you're talking about. What that kind of touches on is another thing I've I 
feel believe very strongly is that how we develop that kind of leadership is is by is by inviting people to do that in the real work so what i mean by that so in the program that i mentioned for example we encourage participants to be part of or engage as part of their learning on the program in what we called live collaborative work so this might be examples of pieces of work that you know really were they weren't made up they weren't projects created for the sake of the leadership program these were you know pieces of work that that were happening between different organizations different parts of the system in scotland and then the learning happens alongside that so encouraging people to reflect on you know what's it like to move out of your formal position of authority within one organization and be working collaboratively with people in another part of you know in another part of the public sector and inevitably that means you know needs different kinds of behaviors and different kinds of um interactions and and people might need to you know one of the big challenges for a lot of people in leadership roles is when they step out of their expert role so say you're a you know you've got to this leadership position because you are a doctor or a nurse or a social worker sudden but suddenly you're in a in a cross system role then then your expertise it's not that it doesn't matter but it's not the only thing that's going to mean that you're effective in the role it's actually about how you can collaborate and and work alongside people from different professions and indeed with local communities and people who are making use of of services in in the public sector. And so might this work in a practical sense that you would get a group of system leaders together for a half day and they, they might choose a really naughty problem that affects them all and they, they, they do that leadership session focused on that and and actually, at the end of the day, they they both come out with some of the leadership training, but also maybe with a solution to something that's probably been, you know, bugging all of them. Um, I mean, the way we did this on the program that I'm talking about is, is that these pieces of work that people were were engaged in lasted through, you know, several months, over several months while they were on the program, and in some cases carried on beyond the end of the program because it wasn't it wasn't yeah. created just for the convenience of a of a leadership program these are real pieces of work um other programs that i'm because now i'm i'm in a different role where i'm working for example i'm working alongside a a, a program in in a one of the local councils in scotland where they're using a similar approach and again the pieces of work will be there for the duration of people being on the program, but they probably will go on beyond. So this is not doing it as a sort of neat packaged leadership development program. It's live pieces of, of work. And then yeah. as a, as a leadership facilitator or coach, it would be encouraging people to reflect on their learning while they're doing that piece of work, as opposed to uh, it being in, in a separate detached classroom, if you see what I mean. So it's making, yeah. it's making the learning more live and more related to their actual work because i think one of one of the things that is a frequent um i suppose criticism of some leadership programs or has been in the past is that they are somewhat detached from the reality of what people are experiencing and especially if you think of you know what's happened in the last three years that doesn't feel particularly relevant to do development with people that is divorced from the reality of what they're experiencing yeah. in, in the workplace so it's something about bringing that closer together while respecting and and seeing the real importance of people getting time out of the busyness of the day job to, to do that reflection and learning so so you know i'm not saying that that's not 
valuable, but it's back, uh, perhaps how you do that, how you create that space. I think there, there are so many positives to that, not, not only um, the fact that if you were off doing a leadership course, you might be with people from completely different sectors. You wouldn't be building relationships during it, which would be useful to you going forward. And then also just the the fact that you can be working on issues and challenges and things that are affecting your your day to day work. And yeah, I, I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's a really good I think it's a really good approach. And in your view, does the public sector really get this new approach or is this something which is just gathering piss? I can only really speak for Scotland. Um, That's where I do most of my work. Um, Although I have done some work on on similar sorts of programmes in Northern Ireland as well. Not not so much recently, but uh, I mean, all of my work in the last, when I left the consultancy I worked in in 2006. So since then, all of my work has been public sector and um, that's where this approach has come from. So I think, yeah, yes, I think the public sector really gets it because people in health need to work with people in local government, need to work with people in the police, need to work with people in criminal justice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the more, I mean, my ideal would be, you know, that leadership development happens across all of those organisations and, in fact, with with people who are working in the third sector and in community groups. The more we are able to have a parallel between how the work actually happens and how the learning happens, I think, is is the way to go, in my view. It's really making me think of the previous guest in the podcast, Paul Morrison, who was the civil servant who ran the Homes for Ukraine programme. And so this was, if you think of that as a system, there was a central government team. There was every council in the country that needed engaged with. There were all the third sector organisations that supported refugees and they had to pretty much go through that leadership experience live and try and find out their different ways of working and how they could work as a system. So it really rings true for that. And I'm sure they'd be thinking, what a great case study to get people to to work, to work together in a crisis. Um, So I want to come back now to the question of leadership and how much of yourself to bring to work as as a leader. So being an authentic leader in inverted commas is yeah. something which is bandied around a lot. But, yeah. you know, what does that really mean? You know, is, is there a limit to how much of your whole self as a leader you should bring to work? Because certainly for some people, it will feel that it's just not appropriate to kind of bring too much of that in when people are looking to you to be the strong and steady one. <laughs> There's, there's so much in that, Andrew. I know, I know. There's many layers, actually. Um, I mean, I suppose where I might start is with, you know, the sort of lived experience that we've all had in the last three years of of coming through the pandemic and, and beyond. Um, and I think what that did, it didn't create some of the issues I'm going to talk about, but, but it exaggerated them perhaps or it really highlighted them. So, you know, on one level, suddenly you know within a matter of days people who were were having to do all of their work from home not everybody obviously but quite a lot of us and so it kind of closed that gap that some people like to maintain between their personal and their work lives so I think that raised raised all sorts of questions and and still does um but yeah you're right the the challenge with labels like be an authentic leader or you know they 
these terms do get bandied about. And they also one thing that that I'm really curious about or challenge quite a lot is where this is almost then commodified as if there is a way there's one way to be an authentic leader and you do this, this and this uh, or one way to be compassionate. And of course, I think the thing is about what I I think what I hopefully practice myself, but what I would want to encourage other people to do is to reflect on this for yourself and and find your own way and your own balance of how much of yourself to bring into your role. But I think what it also throws up when I think about what you were raising with me is what what are the expectations of people in a leadership role Mm. and what's the image that we project onto people who are in leadership roles. So in the current context, in you know in all sorts of parts of the public sector there is no one person that has an answer to to many of the really intractable issues that we're facing and to pretend that i think is yeah. is to uh you know is to mislead people and yet we still you know in all of the leadership theory there's lots said about you know we've moved away from the heroic leader model but in reality uh, you know, even in how it's talked about in the media and and in in politics, we still go for you know essentially we 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 sort of look at one individual and say, you know, they're leading from the front, and and I just don't buy that model as, uh, and I don't think it really works. Um, so so there's so there's that aspect of you know what are we expecting from an individual what can they what can one individual possibly know and actually how the leadership is enacted in reality is is in the collective and then coming back to the individual leader I think there's something about being able to admit what you openly admit what you do and don't know and and to and that's not to admit weakness actually in some ways it is to show strength to say well I don't know but but let's collectively work on this. So how do you apply what you've just been telling us about how much of yourself to bring to work how do you apply that to yourself if you don't mind me asking? Um, I mean if I share with you so around the time that that Jim was diagnosed with leukemia I was working with a group of, of leaders on a leadership program and myself and my co-facilitator were inviting the people on that on that program to reflect on how much did they bring of themselves into into their leadership roles and really to do some quite searching you know self-reflective work and and I I hope I had always brought myself to my work but I really had to to explore you know how could I in all honesty work with this group inviting them to do that kind of depth of work themselves if I didn't share what was happening for me and there is something then both in that role whether it be as a facilitator or coach or as a leader there's something about how you bring yourself without making it all about yourself so um so it just felt like the most honest thing for me to share with the group um you know, my husband's going through leukemia, it has leukemia, is going through chemotherapy. And then when he died, shared with the group that. And and there's something about how actually what it's what it did for me was what it did was open up the fact that we are human beings first rather than in our formal roles. And um, and actually in living with grief in the last three years, what it's done for me is is really you know, I have to confront with that. I can't avoid it. Um, but it's made me more 
um, I think it's made me more empathetic myself. It's made me more able to listen to other people and not jump to conclusions or close down something because it feels too too sensitive. Um, does yeah. that? It does. Yeah, it, it, it's really powerful. And um, yeah, I'm just immediately I'm just pausing, trying to think of my own behaviours and how I handle that. But there's a lot to reflect on there. So thank you very much. Well, one of the things which really frustrates me now, we don't talk about politics as such on this podcast, but let's yeah. say politicians, um, they they exhibit uh, pretty much every bad characteristic a lot of the time that you're talking about, you know, a refusal to admit mistakes often. And even when they do, it's clearly, you know, it's not really meant, you know, it's, 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 it's a very reluctant. There, there just seems to be no space in that arena for the type of leadership that you're talking about, which is like, you know, I, I know this. I don't know this. I'm yeah. uncertain about this. Um, because it's just seen as, just a, a, an impossible arena to to be like that. And I'm guessing a lot of local authority chief executives, NHS trust chief executives, maybe feel the same sort of pressure. To, to look like they know all the answers yeah. all the time. Yeah, but, yeah to, I mean, to, where, to inspire confidence. Yeah, I mean, where you, the, the challenge here is where does where does that come from? Is it, you know, do we get the leaders and politicians we deserve? You know, is it yeah. created by the, you know, images created by the, the media? So, you know, for example, we know that running an NHS trust or a health board in Scotland is a, is, is far more than the task that one person can do. And yet we, you know, there is a, of course, there is an accountability that comes with being a chief exec of one of those organizations or, you know, a local council. And, and yet, you know, we all know that it isn't just down to one person it's a you know there's a senior team and then there are you know there's a whole sort of infrastructure um and yet the way that leadership gets talked about and reduced to one figurehead person being in charge sort of grossly oversimplifies it and then of course what that means is of course in a in a sort of um very polarized world that person slips up, makes a mistake, they're held uh, accountable or something happens in the organisation, they're held accountable. And of course, there is an accountability if you're in a senior leadership role. But it just it is to oversimplify it, I think, to then say so it's it's all about that one person. But of course, what that drives, I think, is um, a, a model of or an image of leadership, which is that you must be strong and strong means admit no mistakes or weaknesses yeah. when in fact you know we know from again from the example you you told of, about working with a particular client actually what's far more robust and sustainable is where we have relationships that are based on trust and openness and honesty and that might include saying i don't know the answer to that but i but i know how to find out yeah absolutely this uh unhelpful style of leadership I think we've seen some examples of that in the media at the minute. So uh, leadership styles and accusations of bullying have been a hot topic of late with yeah. the deputy prime minister having to reluctantly resign after he was found to have indulged yeah. in bullying behaviour. Um, it's, it's an episode which will have caused many leaders around the country to take a look at themselves and question their own behaviour. So, um, we, we've talked about what 
your view on the right way to lead is. But it would be great just to hear a bit more about that than just how how do you get what you're trying to get out of your team without having to resort to raising your voice or indulging in passive aggressive behavior? Well, I suppose the the context is that some of the challenges or most of the challenges facing any public sector organization at the moment and you know it doesn't hasn't happened suddenly but certainly at the moment those those challenges are vast and again as I've said I strongly believe that no one individual can solve or tackle any of those issues it it relies on the collective intelligence of you know all sorts of people throughout an organization and how do you get the best out of how do we get the best out of each other? How do we get the best out of ourselves is when we're able to bring all of our strengths and capabilities and our ideas and our questions and our doubts and our fears and talk about them openly. And I think, you know, there is there's all sorts of evidence to show that where you've got people who are able to to encourage and bring out the best in themselves and in each other, then, you know, not only is that a nicer place to work, but actually it will be in the long term much more effective as well. So a command and control autocratic style of leadership might have um, for very short space of time might have its place when we're in the middle of a crisis. So right at the beginning of the pandemic, you might say, yeah, real clarity about we need to do this, you know, in this way by this time, you know, short term impact. But beyond that, what it will be is completely counterproductive because people might comply, but all they're doing is complying out of fear rather than um, bringing all of their strengths and capabilities, uh, as I say. So, you know, I think I think there are plenty of examples. Perhaps we hear more about, you know, the the, um, we hear more about the, the bad examples. But I think there are many, many good examples of people who are able actually in the most difficult of situations to uh, bring the best out of each other through more of a coaching and engaging style of of leadership, but also of, of, of collaboration across teams. I think you're exactly right. And setting aside what is the right and decent way to behave, the evidence, as far as I've read it, yes. clearly shows that getting angry or being passive aggressive with people is not how you get the best out of them. And from a purely organizational effectiveness point of view, that should be enough to encourage it. And I'm just wondering, do you think the public sector or public services in general get that better than other other sectors or is there still a challenge there? Get the notion of how you get... Uh, Of of being a good, you know, how to, to be the type of leader you've just described. I, I think the, the the truth is across public and private sector, I think there are some really, really good examples of places where um, pe- people um, get the best out of each other. I, I don't think it's I don't see it as a private versus public sector thing. I think there are some really, really good examples of team work and, and real collaboration across parts of the public sector. Um, uh I feel like I'm dodging your question. I'm not. I I, I think that's a. I think you're probably exposing the overgeneralization of my my question, <laughs> which is which is which is absolutely fine. Um, Bridget, as a final question, what bit of advice would you give to someone working in or around public services as you do, who wants to make a positive impact in the way that you have? 
And and I can say that you have because I've heard it from quite a few people. So you don't need to to be to be modest there. Okay, well, thank you very much. Um, I I think the older I get, the more um, curious I want to be about other people. And I used to be uh, a lot more reticent about being in situations where I might be disagreeing with someone, and I would probably keep my disagreement to myself and avoid the conflict and the the older I've got the more I've thought actually if I can and I learned a lot actually about this from Jim because he he had an insatiable curiosity when he met people so something about pausing for longer asking more questions but listening for longer and getting to know people and um what I then have found is that the more you get to know someone, and it sounds like such an obvious thing to say, but the more you get to know someone, the more you realise that your differences are probably smaller than you think yeah. they are. But actually then, you you know, if you if you have got to know somebody a bit more and you've built the relationship, as, as we were talking about earlier, then it's 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 can feel safer or more more possible to have the disagreements and explore the differences of opinion rather than avoiding it all where actually the difference becomes almost this big unspoken set of assumptions so i think curiosity being curious and really finding out um, more about other people is 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 a pretty cool thing i i think i'm getting more and more curious as i get older and I, and I love learning and I, I, I'm much it's really interesting I'm much more interested in learning now than I was when I was at university yeah. I really just wanted to get out of the classroom as quickly as possible and out onto to the rugby pitch and I, I'm actually I'd love to be back I mean I think we maybe do things the wrong way around in terms of oh, our yeah I totally agree but also what you reminded me by saying that is I think I've probably shifted a lot in in my thinking around what do we learn from so so if I think about, you know, if I was going to recommend books that people read, they're more likely to be, you know, more broadly based than, than at their latest leadership text, for example. So I think we learn from the natural world around us. I think we learn from poetry. I think we learn from yeah. going to watch the ballet or listen to an opera or listen, or go to a gig. You know, we're learning all the time. And it's about sort of seeing that more broadly rather than kind of doing it as a convergent sort of narrow thing yeah i mean i think how i would describe what you're describing there just applying this to what i observe in people and in meetings is we seem to struggle to find that uh middle ground of dialogue it seems to be that we have two gears one is kind of hard debate and the other one is polite avoidance and actually that neither of those really works absolutely and and we're seeing that you know a lot at at the moment of sort of polarized debate or or as you say sort of polite avoidance of the real issues and i think coming back to what we were just saying the more you get to know someone else in in a broader way beyond the role that they fulfill the more likely it is that we can open up um broader conversations with each other and that's something i'm really really interested in is how do we have the real conversations where it not only is it okay to disagree we actually kind of need to surface the disagreement because actually in the disagreement there may actually be the 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 sort of 
um, I don't know, the root of some of some new solutions or new ways of looking at things rather than thinking, you know, especially if we think about the public sector context, some of the issues that that people are facing are, are you know, vast, deep, intractable issues. And we need some different ways of looking at them. And that will only come out of a wider range in conversation, not polarised debate. Huge lessons for leaders and aspiring leaders in public services and in in all services there. So, Bridget, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I have to say I loved that conversation. There's a few things in particular I think are worth emphasising from it. Relationships and trust literally make the world go round. You know, if world leaders manage to make time for one-to-one time with each other so they actually get to know each other because they know it will make their work together go more smoothly then surely local leaders within a system ought to be making the same sort of time to get to know each other each other personally I mean that that I'm not sure that happens very much and is maybe seen as a nice to have rather than something really important so that key thing about having genuine relationships and trust between leaders is is so important. The second point I wanted to emphasize was Bridget's argument that modern public service leadership is in the collective. No one person, no matter how powerful they are, no matter what position they hold, can actually influence an outcome all by themselves, really, when you think about a population. And that idea of having a humble approach where it's about collective endeavor collective leadership i think is really important and her example of doing leadership training and leadership development with other leaders in your system and the case studies being real live issues that you're working on i think that sounds fantastic and and a real really good use of time it's almost like taking some time away from the from the firefighting of your day job to think strategically with other leaders who are through a different lens trying to solve the same problem. So I thought that was fascinating. The final point I wanted to raise was this whole idea of being an authentic leader. You know, how much of yourself do you bring to your work? And what I took away from the conversation with Bridget was that there are no rules here. It's not like there's a rule of thumb where you need to bring 50% of your your home life into the workplace. That's not the case. You know, if you're naturally open, then your authentic leader persona will probably be more open than someone who is more reserved. And you certainly shouldn't be forcing yourself to be more open than you're normally comfortable with. That seems to be for sure. So thank you for listening. Um, I hope you find that episode useful. Please share it with people. I think the more of us who understand and buy into this way of leading the better it is for everybody so please do share it with colleagues as well once you've listened and thank you very much and don't forget to follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any future episodes 